playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol Extra Film Coated Tablets contain paracetamol. For pain relief, always read the label or leaflet. Good morning. Last night, live in Vicar Street, the RTE Radio 1 Folk Awards. Oh, that is beautiful and a nice way to start. That was Clan Ilarta Le Casa on Sugon from last night's Folk Awards. Loads of amazing performances. Mary Black got a Lifetime Achievement Award and the late Paddy Maloney was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well worth a listen back. Tomorrow, are you getting yourself sorted for the World Cup? And if you're sitting having a drink, well, fair play to you because if you're in Qatar, that option may not be open to you. As of yesterday, alcohol sales were banned at the stadiums. Guillaume Balage is a soccer journalist and he joined Claire yesterday from Doha. What's been the reaction to this last-minute decision? Well, let's say that football is not really related to, to drink uh, in, in this part of the world like it is in, in Western Europe. That really isn't the problem. Uh, the problem is that it's moving the goalpost two days before the start of the tournament when it's been organised for the last 12 years and it raises a question, who is in control of this? It should be FIFA, but it seems it is Qatar. And of course, that's without talking about the the, the fine that uh, FIFA will get from 
put by so the uh, one of the main sponsors in, in, in the World Cup, which now they won't be able to sell beer inside the stadium or in, around the perimeter. Yeah, and it just raises the question of what else could happen now, or, you know, in, the, in this period before the start of the World Cup and indeed during it, because no one's going to say to Qatar, well, you can't host this now. I mean, it's a done deal. They know that. They can do whatever they want. And it feels like that, doesn't it? Uh, I, I imagine... I imagine nothing else is going to be changed, but it leaves uncertainty of not knowing that uh, that's something that is so certain. You know, whatever you go in any World Cup, and I've been to many, you know what you're getting everywhere along the way, and you know what you can do, and you know what you're not supposed to do, etc. So now, yes, it leaves that question mark. But what else could it be, I don't know, forbidden? I don't think there would be anything else. This was a very delicate issue anyway. And Qatar tried to... There were rumours uh, that things could happen. They were hiding tents in the last few days. So you, you could suspect that something could happen. But this is a bit dramatic in that mm-hmm. sense. Who yeah. is in control of this? Ooh, it'll be interesting, if nothing else. But with so much controversy, is it even possible that what happens on the pitch will even get a look in? You know, everybody is talking rightly about human rights issues in Qatar. But once the games start, I think there may be, there will be a a shift and a focus on on the football. Once you're here in Doha, uh, the first thing that I saw was was a woman all in black. I could only see her eyes checking my passport. And that straight away is a a shock to the system. I'm not used to that. It's not visually, to me, it's, it's, it's not right. And then you walk around the streets and not everything is being done not all the streets are finished not all the buildings are finished and you see a lot of uh, a lot of people servicing you from the moment you get to reception in the houses where we are uh, the delivery people and they're all indians or from pakistan or from from that part of the world that you think how much will they be paid for all this yes and does that you cannot escape that you cannot escape that there's a football game to to watch as well and uh, and i think both can be both feelings can be can be travelled together to this World mm-hmm. Cup. So with that in mind, his prediction for who will ultimately win? We've spoken about Argentina. Spain? We have to put Brazil there as well, but uh, Spain, um, we could get knocked out in the group stage or we could win it. Says the journalist from Spain. Now, it is finally getting colder, so are you melted into the bed? Does it feel just, well, downright wrong to have to get up? Fetal position? Oh, so cosy. Well, on Mooney Goes Wild, the question of what if humans could just hibernate for the winter? What's to stop us? Bears can do it, ground squirrels even. And what are the benefits of hitting the snooze button until, say, February? Professor Vladislav Vyovsky is a member of Oxford University's Sleep and Circadian Neuroscience Institute. So, might it be possible? As far as we know, there is nothing special about humans that would prevent us from hibernating. When you say that prolonged, whether we can put a human being in a prolonged hibernation, this is a a different question. We can definitely induce an abnormal state of reduced body temperature or even reduced metabolism. But we need to learn from animals how animals do it in the wild. So probably we humans just forgot how to do it because we have other uh, ways to deal with harsh environmental conditions. So we simply do not have this necessity. But we might be, and quite likely we are equipped with uh, physiological mechanisms that can enable us to do that. So I'm very hopeful. But as Derek so succinctly put it, 
why. For what reason? Why would we bother putting ourselves into hibernation? Yeah, this is really a great question because you can see a lot of interest, for example, in relation to space travel. And I'm quite surprised that quite often uh, we talk about sending people to Mars. So Mars is definitely not a friendly place. So actually, I, I am wondering why everybody wants to go to Mars. We are not going to survive there, but it, it's definitely interesting for long distance space travel. So there is, you know, the Earth is becoming small for us. So we. We want to explore outer space. We want to explore other planets which are potentially habitable. So hibernation is definitely one way and probably the only way to reach remote planets. But it has a lot of applications also here on Earth from dealing with trauma uh, or um, uh, surgery or uh, general in emergency medicine, maybe even in a stroke. And if we could learn from animals how they do it, how they prune their synapses and then re-establish synapses when they rewarm. This opens really tremendous opportunities in neurodegenerative disorders, for example. And then we got into melty brains territory. We simply do, do not know how does it feel to be hibernating. Since we uh, define uh, hibernation as sleep using different criteria, then in theory you can be awake while hibernating, right? So you can have low metabolic rate, you can have very shallow breathing, consume very little oxygen, but you can be awake and conscious. So how does it feel? We have no idea. Can you experience pain? We don't know. Uh, whether you are dreaming, this is really amazing question. So we do know that you need to have some brain activity to experience dreams. It is possible and maybe uh, just the experience of hibernation is not simply quantitatively, but qualitatively different from wakefulness or dreaming. Kind of trippy from Mooney Goes Wild. And staying ever so slightly in that realm, it is Science Week after all, on the poetry programme When Words and Science Collide. This is poet Rosamond Taylor. So this is a poem about Alicia Boole Stott, who was the daughter of a very important Irish mathematician, George Boole. And she was she was born in Cork in 1860 at a time when most women would not have any access to science or maths education. But she was really interested in mathematics, particularly geometry. And what is really impressive about her is a tiny bit hard to explain, but basically she was able to visualise the geometry of four dimensions, um, which is difficult for most people because we, we live in three spatial dimensions. So the way you or I could see a three-dimensional cat and draw a picture of it on a two-dimensional piece of paper, she could think about something four-dimensional and create a three-dimensional model of it in wood or cardboard. And that was really, really useful for mathematicians of her time. And this poem is called Tesseract, because Tesseract is the name given to the four-dimensional cube. Tesseract. I made a tiny world on the hearth, coal scuttle a stable for ember horses. Ash people squeezed out of the dark grate told me stories in crackling voices. I stroked frost ferns on the windows, crystal castles with silver arrow slits, markets selling cups of blue glacier. This was how I found the fourth dimension. Another imagined stroll, now in the tesseract. How I loved that word, tesseract, a new language of geometry. As candles turn my room, into flickering flat images 
the shadows of the table, of my sleeping sister, so I carve shadows of four dimensions in wood. I find other worlds. It is my peculiar talent to never lose my footing among new angles. I carry my lantern across chasms. That is beautiful. Rosamond Taylor as heard on the poetry programme. Meanwhile, over on Lyric, not that we want to encourage him, mind you, but not for the first time, the mustachioed one did a karaoke mic drop, this time on Muick. If you're heading southbound to Kilmoon Cross on the N2, as it's still very slow there. And that's what I have for this morning. We've done it. That's very good. Now, did you say something about New York, New York to me earlier on? Uh, maybe. No, I just, you know... Did you say that you, you could sing this? I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not singing it. I'm not singing do you know, it, Do you know the words? It's been years, Marty. I know, but still, the, you never forget a classic. Do you, do you want to give it a go? Starting now. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. Going well so far. I want to be a part of it. New York. I can never get this bit. Okay, not get that part. Nah. Can you get the next part? Vagabond shoes. Are longing to stray. You, it's going very well. Right to the very heart of it, New York. You see, he gets those, those high notes so well. He does, isn't he? Yeah. Not anymore, though. <laughs> that is dark. <laughs> are you going to keep it going or are you done now? I'll do the go. kind of William Shatner version. Come on. I'm king of the hill. Top of the heap, you. Top of the heap. That's very good. These little town blues. Melting away. I want a brand new start of it in old New York. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York. Well, you know, listen, good lad. That's um, that's. Don't worry about the traffic. Just take up the old singing. That's the trick. They better. This better not end up on the IC website. That's what I'm saying, Marty. Oh, I think you know where you're going. <laughs> Keep the faith. Talk to you soon. Take you. care. God bless you. New York. He only came in to do the traffic. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On Wednesday, the Spirit and Congregation held a press conference. This was in response to allegations of sexual abuse at its schools, all prompted by last week's documentary on one, Black Rock Boys, and the many, many follow-on calls into Liveline. And given the scale and extent of the abuse, this may be difficult listening for the next few minutes. So please, bear it in mind. At that conference, the Order apologised for what had happened and said they would support a public inquiry should that take place. On the News at One, Brian Dobson spoke to Father Martin Kelly, head of the Spirit and Order. At this stage, Father Kelly, how many people have made allegations? I mean, the last figure we had was 233. Has, has that gone up? It has gone up. I can't quote you the exact number. About 60 people have contacted us, but uh, many of those uh, are not uh, are not uh, uh, victims. 
They may uh, they haven't named some of them have named. They have named one new spiritan who has been abused. Others are just complain are just giving out saying. I'm 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 appalled and, and ashamed mm. and astonished at what you guys did. And and so against how many members of the order have allegations been made then? Well, if you add that, uh, it was seventy-seven. It's now seventy-eight. To the best of my knowledge, because we we haven't got figures from the Gardaí. Complaints may have been made to the Gardaí, mm-hmm. and we haven't got any any figures from them. And as far as you're aware, is that across the various school campuses, Blackrock, Willow Park, Rockwell, oh, that's, uh, that, St. Sorry, that, that, that includes all the schools. It includes outside schools, people who were working, if people were working in parishes or anywhere in Ireland, and it also includes uh, lay teachers. And given the nature of the order, this was never going to be confined to just Ireland. Of, of course, the Spiritans also have a long tradition of missionary work overseas in West Africa and, and I think in other parts of the world um, as well. Yes, um, we work in, in 60 countries. And, and ha- have you an idea or can you say, or is it the case that all of those priests against whom allegations would have been made alive and dead would at some stage have worked in the missions, worked abroad? Uh, I, I, I definitely, because most of us... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I've, most of us have worked abroad, so some of them would, I, I suspect most of them would have worked abroad. Father Martin, Kelly, head of the Spirit and Order on the News at One. Also at that press conference, a proposal for a restorative justice initiative to engage with people who had suffered sexual abuse at the schools. This was agreed to by the Order and an independent expert has been appointed. One of the past pupils who had been abused and proposed this is Corey McMahon. I was abused at 12 by Father Flood and my namesake, Father Curry. So the Curry name goes around quite often. There's a difference between me and him. Um, picture a 12-year-old child that you know. That was, that was the shape of us and also our mindsets at that time. Corey McMahon took part in the restorative justice programme and he explained how it was for him a positive experience. One of the things that came out of it for me was that I had really lost my faith. (laughs) And this happened the last time, yeah. But it was my faith and I stumble at that point every time because I've, you know, in a funny way, I've nowhere to be buried, you know, like with the church and all that kind of stuff. But... But the next day, I really had a sense of um, the balance had been, the balance of power had been had changed, and that I had got the twelve-year-old boy back on side, and you know, I, it, you know, and it, it, the world is very different for me now, which is good. Corrie McMahon has heard on the news at one. However, not everyone agreed. On Liveline, Mark Vincent Healy, who felt that this process was insufficient. The terrible part of this is restorative justice is about meeting with your abuser and having an opportunity to put questions to your abuser like, why did you choose me? What was it about me? Did I have a sign on my back for you to attack me like that? Mm. They want questions directly from their abuser. They, They can never be answered in what is set up here as an RJ process which is only going to sort of like be between yourself and the spirit. And the spirit will only, let's say, relieve you 
of what may be. Well, what questions do you have? When did he die, is it? How, where was he after? What happened to me? Or will they admit under questioning by that survivor, can you tell me, was this person put in my path? Were they appointed elsewhere and you knew about them? Mm. And you still had him come to my school. And so I could have been spared if you had taken the right action. So in fact, whilst there's a criminal aspect to the abuse and abuser, there's that facilitation itself, which was a criminal act in itself. You become a co-conspirator where you bring a, a, a paedophile and put that person in contact with and has opportunities to reach out and abuse further children. That's what the congregation have to answer. There's where an inquiry needs to be held. And the children and survivors of this abuse need to know what was the part, the systemic part of all of this. This didn't happen in isolation by just, the, you know, the, the okay. preference and the predilection of some predator. This was actually, in, it, was, it, was, it was incorporated within another area of criminality, and that was to cover up the crimes and to still expose um, children to further predation. That's what's got, an inquiry can only find okay. that out. My, you won't my, get that no, restorative justice. And while many survivors differed in how best to move forward, for Edward Harron, the naming of his abuser was vital. Edward Harron, how important for you was it to hear Senan Curry's name in the public domain for the first time? Who was your abuser? Well, yeah, it's very important, Joe. Um, because for me, you know, my whole life changed me in the office when nobody believed me. And uh, most people would have just thought, you know, this 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 child is out of control. So, when I see Father Curry now out there, I feel syndicated mm. in some way. I am, as you say, very much into an independent inquiry, the restorative justice, and that, as I say, is fine yeah. for people that may work for some and may not work and, for and others. In fairness, Edward, Curry's name was mentioned again today on a number of occasions. How was he getting away with it? It, look, that man had a free hand. All of them did. They had a free hand. They had a little... They were like guys in a, in a, in a candy store. Do you know what I mean? And they were just left there to, to raid it. And that's what they did. And then they stood there in front of their parents. As I now know, I wasn't the only one. There were plenty of other parents that went in. And they denied it. And they kept denying it. Over, over decades, probably. So, yes, I mean, again, that answers the question, did... Did they each, did they collude? Did they know? They definitely did. And at this stage, after your program and that, you know, it should be very clear to people that there has been a huge collusion and it didn't just go on over a few years, it went on over decades. Just as some of the voices on this week's Live Line. With Cormac Leisure on Drive Time, Liam Lally, the Safeguarding Coordinator at the Spirit and Congregation. Was there ever an attempt to cover this up, Liam? To cover up the good name of schools, fee-paying schools like Blackrock College? Uh, The quick answer is, I don't know. But what I can say is that uh, when people came forward, there may have been um, a tendency to protect the institution rather than believe the child and act on what the child said. How so? Pardon? What do you, why do you believe that? 
because because the 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 um, child story was not acted upon. If if the child if the child had been believed uh, and action taken, if they had been reported, if the incident had been reported to the guard, well then uh, that that would have maybe in maybe but it's not just it's, it's not just that the child story wasn't believed abusers were moved that that is a fact it was it was it, it happened in the spiritans and it happened in dioceses all over the country so forget and other dioceses let's talk that, about the spiritans and okay, their practices okay. so sp- abusers were moved it's not just that the child wasn't believed yeah. abusers were moved to other places where they could abuse more children. Isn't that right? That, that, is, that is true. And, that and was, then that in, a, was a in at least mistake. one case, Liam, they were rehired. That is indefensible. That's correct, uh, isn't it? Yes, the, the people, uh, priests were moved uh, around. Uh, and that is true. That should not have happened. However, Cormac pushed on who knew what, when, and just what action was taken. Hang on, on. you're telling us that you don't know if there was a cover-up, yet abusers were moved from school to school and allegations of sexual abuse were following these people and yet all of the time the people in authority did not believe the children. In some in some cases, uh, Cormac. Now, not in not in every case, but certainly in some cases, uh, when an incident like that was reported, the priest was taken and sent on uh, for six months or a year to a centre either in Stroud in England or somewhere in America. And the Gordy uh, were never they, alerted. And and when they came back, they often came back with a report saying that they were now could return to ministry. But, uh, that Le- would Liam, not happen now. I'm correct in saying that the Gordy were never uh, alerted in those situations. Uh, I, I, I'd be reluctant to say never. Certainly the Gardaí were, were alerted in some cases because there were, there uh, were, um, there have been prosecutions obviously over the years, not very many, but there have but been they, prosecutions. They're quite recent, aren't they, Liam? Are we, are the, we talking about the case in 2004? There's, there's one from that period, yes. So anyone previous to that? Well, one of the difficulties, Cormac, and some people say, why is so so few? One of the difficulties, as I alluded to it earlier, people did not come forward to... No, no, uh, hang, hang, let me stop you there, if, if I may, Liam, and I, I do yeah. this with uh, absolute respect to you in your office yeah. and your position. But what we're discussing is the Spiritans as an order and an authority moving alleged abusers uh, from school to school allegations of sexual abuse following them and the Gorley never being alerted. That's exactly what we're discussing here, isn't that right? The, yes, that, that did happen. Liam Lally, Safeguarding Coordinator with the Spirit and Congregation on Drive Time. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On Monday morning, Claire Byrne interrupted her interview with the Taoiseach to bring us this. Um, now, Taoiseach, I, I'm just getting some news here which um, has just come in to me here and um, very sad news that the cervical check campaigner Vicky Phelan has died. She died in the early hours of this morning at Milford Hospital, a hospice rather in, in Limerick and people will know that Vicky was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2014. As I say, this news is just coming into us and our deepest sympathies to Vicky's family and friends who are uh, hearing this news this morning. Such very sad news. 
Vicky Phelan was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2014 after being given incorrect smear test results three years earlier. And in 2017, she was told her cancer was terminal. However, as strange as it might seem to say, few thought it would actually come to pass. Just after that news did break, Claire spoke to her friend, Labour TD, Alan Kelly. I suppose what's really shocking today is is Vicky always fought back and she was so resilient, the most resilient person I've ever met. And I suppose in your heart of hearts, you knew this day would come, but it's still a shock because she always rebounded. And um, so many times I was with her um, just uh, seven or eight days ago and... um, I was inside with her in Limerick and uh, was with her for an hour and, you know, we still had the crash, we still had the laugh, we talked about everything and, um, you know, she, her maiden name is Kelly and as I was leaving because she was getting some treatment, uh, I had to leave and uh, I just turned to her and I said, the Kellys will always be together and I put my thumb, thumb up to her and she smiled and put her thumb up to me as well, so mm-hmm. that was the last, uh, last thing I saw of Vicky, but she, she, she did a great she had some strength. She was amazing in in how the mo- people will never know the amount of time she gave to so many people um, that came looking for her help. I know about it because I worked with her. Um, I know her with TD and all of that, but yeah, she was a friend more than you know. It was our relationship was was friendship based, and uh, she came to the PAC that time. The famous time when she did the interview where was was in front of the with Stephen Teeth and um, actually after it, um, I I had to take her over to meet the minister Simon Harris at the time, and she actually didn't know how to get there, uh, so I brought her over and afterwards I said I'd wait and um, bring her out as well because she didn't know how, they didn't know how to get around uh, the the government buildings and the minister house. And, we were walking across the road on Marion Square side. Uh, I get in a taxi. We held on a taxi. And she, it was an involuntary thing, but it's one of the best moments of my life. She hugged me, and she said, "Won't you always do your best for us?" And that was. Labour's Alan Kelly with Claire. And that sense of shock could be heard in so many voices on the airwaves because she had seemed almost unbreakable. On Tuesday's Morning Ireland with Audrey, fellow campaigner and friend Stephen Teep. Thank you for taking our call this morning. How are you feeling? It's it's been a a very difficult uh, day and a bit. Waking up yesterday morning, getting that call of Vicky's passing, uh, trying to make sense of it all was, um, I suppose, a very difficult thing to process um, through the emotions of everything. I think somewhere along the way, we all got blindsided by Vicky's strength. I know I certainly did and somehow forgot that this day would come or maybe more chose to not think about this day ever coming. And now that it has, it's, um, it's just all been very real trying to process this. Our friend is no longer at the end of that phone. Um, Our friend won't be returning our messages anymore. And there's this massive empty space now beside us all, all our friends, all our family, that Vicky's massive, loving, courageous, wonderful personality once filled um, has left behind and may never be filled again. From Morning Ireland.
and it was on the steps of the High Court in 2018, having refused to sign a confidentiality clause, that many of us first heard the voice of Vicky Phelan. There are no winners here today. I am terminally ill and there is no cure for my cancer. My settlement will mostly be spent on buying me time and on paying for clinical trials to keep me alive and to allow me to spend more time with my children. If I die, and I truly hope that won't be the case, the money will provide for my family. The women of Ireland can no longer put their trust in the cervical check programme. Mistakes can and do happen, but the conduct of cervical check in the HSE in my case, and in the case of at least 10 other women who we know about, is unforgivable. To know for almost three years that a mistake had been made and that I was misdiagnosed is bad enough, but to keep that information from me until I became terminally ill and to drag me through the courts to fight for my right to the truth is an appalling breach of trust. And I truly hope that some good will come of this case and that there will be an investigation into the cervical check programme as a result of this. With Claire, Keen O'Carroll, the solicitor who represented Vicky Phelan in that case. And he spoke of her determination and grit. She never stopped and it came from that sense that truth and honesty were the most important thing. She explained so many times how she found the evidence in her own records that there had been this discovery that there was a mistake made in her care, that her, her, her smear test had been misreported and then that had been kept from her. The misreporting was, was, was the big issue. But she... She took it upon herself. She didn't accept attempts to gag her. She was determined that she was going to fight her case in court if they weren't going to deal with her reasonably and that nobody was going to hush her up on this because she knew other people were affected. And that then led on to one campaign after another after her own case to ensure that other people found out the truth about what had happened to them and then that they had access to important drugs that she had to fight for access to and then that they had a care package put together which was going to support them and their families through effectively negligently inflicted cancers and injuries. Mm -hmm. And she fought for all that while she was fighting for her own life to extend her life so that she could give the love and support to her family and receive their love and support in return. Uh, and that's why I think people just, people warmed to her. People had a sense that she was sincere, and she was honest, she was brave, uh, and truth and honesty were so important to her. And what she wanted was system change and accountability. In 2018, the Scali review into the cervical check screening programme found serious gaps in the governance and expertise of the programme. And the following year, then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar delivered a state apology in the Dáil to the women and their families impacted by the cervical smear test controversy. As an advocate both for herself and other women, she was tenacious. Back to Stephen Teep. What was she like in those meetings with politicians, with health officials? How, how was she? She was fierce, uh, full of passion, full of drive. Vicky would walk into a room and everybody stood to attention. She had that personality, um, you know, but she did it with 
beautiful personality and that, you know, that cheeky grin that she has. She would do it with that. But when she, when she needed to get serious, she, she got very serious. Like, Vicky is a warrior, but at the same time, like, she is the most gentlest of souls. And that always came out. And while she can be very serious when she needs to be, she's got a fantastic and wonderful sense of humor. And like I say, she, when she, when she, she can be fierce, but she is the kindest person you will ever meet. And all of that in every meeting I sat next to her in came across. And for someone like me who was having my own fight and trying to deliver my own, say, agendas in these meetings, um, to have someone like her as a rock of support to lean on. And, you know, and even more than that, she'd give you a nudge to keep you going. And if you needed a kick, sure, she'd give you that too. She was just an amazing person. And... I think anybody that's ever sat in a meeting with her would, would agree with me. Now, Vicky Phelan had done many media interviews and when the news broke of her death, Wayne Tuberty spoke of his sadness, but also his memories of just how much fun she was to be around. We'd, she'd appear on The Late Late Show. What happens after The Late Late Show when Vicky Phelan appears on the show? Well, we would do, we'd do a couple of photographs like the act in the maggot as we did along the corridor. That's the photo I put, put up on, on, on Instagram yesterday because she had no hair. She had uh, a twinkle in her eye and we couldn't hug because of the restrictions, but we could act the maggot and have fun and we did. And that's the photo I put up. A joyful, joyous person trapped in an unfair world. She was too young to be the nation's mother. We can't, we can't give her that. that. That wouldn't be fair. But I do think she was the country's sister. And I think that's something that, that, that's worth thinking about briefly this morning. She was easy with a kind word and she was easy with a helping hand and she was one of life's natural leaders. Wherever you met her, wherever you saw her on TV or heard her on the radio, she had leadership written all over. I would argue that she was the best president this country never had. I really believe that. In another life, another world, she could have ended up going all that way. And for Ray, who had also interviewed her many times... Well, there were so many words that fit. She was, she was just, uh, just amazing, and and all the words you think about, you know, like I'm, I was trying to list the words, impressive. She was compassionate. She was beautiful. She was funny. She was determined. She was very, very capable. You see, uh, and it is as if she arrived ready to do what she has done for the last four and a half years. And for many of us, women in particular, this was a loss of someone we felt we kind of knew and whose campaign to improve the health of women would leave a lasting legacy. For Drive Time, Cathy Halloran was in Limerick and spoke to those signing the Book of Condolence. I am so sad this morning when I walked in the door and I saw the tribute that is laid out here for her. She was an amazing woman, an inspiration to everybody and I think she's at peace now and her battle has been fought and won. There's nobody in the country, I think, that doesn't know her name and that we had all brought her to our hearts, particularly women. Do you think she campaigned for better services for health, the health of our, women of our nation? Completely. Um, she, that's her legacy. She was the first one on this journey. Um, you, you know, like there was other ladies that came on afterwards, but Vicky was the first. So we've, we've a debt that we owe her as, as women in this country completely. I mean, it's just such sad news, really, to just, you know, hear this morning. It's a beautiful day and it's just... Sad to know that Vicky Phelan is no longer with us and what an inspirational woman, a mother. Um, it's just so sad. 
but what a life she led, what a contribution she made. She can be so proud, her family can be so proud. Um, and Limerick and, and Ireland, you know, we're at a loss without her contribution. She was a wonderful person and what can we do but remember her today and hope that she, you know, her contribution will, will go on. So many tributes to a woman who has achieved so very much. Back in March of last year, Ray chatted to Vicky Phelan and he brought us this clip from that interview when he asked her about her thoughts on living and dying. You know, one of the things I think that a lot of people don't get to do before they die sometimes is, you know, particularly I often find with, with, with cancer, and a lot of cancer patients will tell you the same thing, particularly, you know, people like me who who are terminal and kind of, you know, you know, it's coming. Um, you get the time to say things to people that sometimes we don't do, you know, mm. so we're very bad in Ireland at kind of telling people how much we love them or mm. maybe, you know, you might have fallen out with a friend and, you know, over something stupid. So I've repaired all of those bridges. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah well, you know, look, because you know should, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? But it shouldn't be that we have to wait know, till know, something know. like this happens yeah, to know, do those I things. Know, I know. And it's the same thing with my parents. You know, we wouldn't have been great in my family at kind of, you know, saying I love you or giving hugs. Yeah. Now we're all doing it. You know what mm. I mean? And that, that was driven by me, I suppose, and yeah. my cancer and my situation. And, you know, I have no regrets, Ray. Everybody who I love knows I love them. I've done everything I can. I've 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 squeezed every last drop <laughs> out of life. You know, and that yeah. and that's it. And I think it's so important because a lot of us don't do that, you know. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't have before I got cancer. You know, I think we're all so caught up in, you know, jobs and promotions and, you know, being a certain size and you know do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, no, no, uh, I know. You know I, know. I, think, I no longer care about those yeah. things. You I know, think everybody, you know, everybody listening knows, but we don't act on it. That's the thing. We no, know what we should no, be doing. No, we don't until yeah, yeah. we're pushed into a corner yeah. like I have been. Yeah. But there's a great freedom in that sometimes because it really frees you up to just enjoy life, yeah. you know. And it's the simple things, honestly. You know, it's the simple things that make make me happy because, you know, when you're not in pain, everything is a bonus, you know. Yeah. The remarkable Vicky Phelan. Well, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week, and we will finish with a band that was one of her favourites. Honey, if the truth hurts, don't look.